Well, hello, uh, Village Heights people. Thank you so much for being here. Or if it's your first time, thanks for joining us. It's a risk trying a new church, and we thank you for taking the risk on us. Uh, we could be crazy. We might be. I don't know. We're going to find out. We're talk Today, we're in our fifth installment of movement. Uh, so we've been going through uh, what it means to be a part of the church. Because uh, we all come from different backgrounds, right? Some Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Episcopal. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on and on. Church of Christ. You know, it just goes, you know, there's a lot of different types of denominations out there. And each one has their own thing, right? Rituals or, or traditions or whatever it may be. None of it's, like, I'm not saying it's all bad or anything like that. But you come together and you're like, okay, but what is required, right? Because some rituals and traditions can become that just ritual and tradition. We end up replacing Christ with those things. And so I wanted to help clarify, basically, what is required? Being a part of the Village Heights family, what are we looking for um, in this church? Uh, because when it comes to church, church is the word that we made up for it. It's a, there's a whole history to that, and we get to that later. But when Christ came, he didn't say, hey, be the church. He said, be the way, right? So he came to show us the way. There is other ways, but the way back to your creator is this way, right? And so before it was called the church, it was that's what they were called, the way. It was a following, um, and it required movement, right? So it'd be like if I came and asked you for directions, and you gave me the directions, and I just kept staring at you, and you're like, you got to move. Like, so you can't just stare at me. Like, you got to actually follow and make movement happen. But what for a church, what is the mint in the move? Because sometimes we focus on the move and forget, what are we actually supposed to do? What, are we, what is required of us? Uh, and so what I, the way I see church is like a kaleidoscope, and that's why we've chosen this artwork and used this analogy. To me, the church is, is like, if you've ever used a kaleidoscope, whether you're a kid or an adult, it's fascinating. If you see one, you got to pick it up, put it up to the sun, turn it a little bit, because it's mesmerizing. It really is. And that's the way I see the church. I see it as a total different like, group of colorful people, personality in every way, job, career, all of that. And we all move together, and we're focusing on the brightest light, which is Christ. Um, but if you picked up a kaleidoscope and looked at it, and part of it wasn't lit up, or part of the lights were no longer colored anymore, or if it wasn't moving, you would go, something's wrong with this kaleidoscope. It must be broken. It's kind of the same for the church. When we're not focusing on the light, or we're not all living up to the way that God's called us to be in our personalities, or we're not moving right, something is broken. And so we've had a great time in villages discussing this. And if you haven't joined a village, it's not too late. You should join one because it's really cool to hear from other people's vantage points, to hear how they stayed a Christ follower growing up or how they found Christ. And sometimes you'll find similarities and sometimes you'll be like, I had no idea that was even an avenue you could take towards God, right? It's a creative way of seeing it. So we've had a lot of great discussion talking about church diversity, uh, hurts and celebrations throughout. And, uh, and what I said was, is when we started this, that when you're already doing, because we're already here, we're already having church. It's been, it's been going on. Typically, if you come to church, that means you've been to church. But if this is your first time, awesome. Thank you for coming. But that's usually how it goes. And so when you've already started something, if you're going to change it, you got to work it back. 
And so we spent four weeks working it back. We zeroed in on the things that I felt were like kind of the main stuff that breaks churches, that breaks that kaleidoscope. And so the first week we talked about spiritual complacency and how we sometimes can get too comfortable and we can kind of take it for granted what Christ can do for us and what he has done for us and become spiritually complacent. Uh, In the second week, I talked about empty worship and how we are really called to worship God. We are created to worship him. That's how the relationship works. But sometimes we just do it for lip service. We come, we do things, and really just to kind of look good amongst other Christians, and we bring empty worship to him. It's not true, authentic worship. Uh, And then in the third week, I talked about one of our favorite subjects, because we usually point at others, hypocrisy. We talked about how we can be hypocrites, you know, as as Christ followers in the church. Um, And then last week, Hannah did an amazing job talking about pride, spiritual pride, in the the way that we can kind of see ourselves as better than others because we're closer to Christ. And we talked about the pharisaical way of saying, Lord, you know, I'm... I'm so good, but they're so bad, and that's why I distance myself from them. I believe that those four aspects is what rips churches apart. So now, we've worked back. Now it's time to work forward, all right? And so the next four weeks, we're going to, starting today, we're going to go over our core values of church. And I can't speak for every other church, but being a part of Village Heights, these are the things that we ask of you. And it's all, don't worry, it's all derived from Scripture. It's not a cold or anything that I decided on my own. It all comes from Scripture. So now it's time to work forward. So today, we start our move forward with what centers us. Because as human beings, if you go to counseling, if you have a difficulty uh, when you're starting, starting a relationship or you're in a relationship with somebody, it all comes down to where's your heart at? What, what's on the inside, right? What centers you? Because whatever's on the center of you is what comes out. Now, sometimes we can fake it, but ultimately, how you feel on the inside is what comes out on the outside. Your inward affects your outward. And, uh, and I believe for us, the church, people, the followers of the way, there is a glue that we start with. It is the glue of church. Well, it should be. Um, for us, we start with Christ. And so that's why our first core value at Village Heights is to be Christ-centered. And you're thinking, well, no-brainer, right? <laughs> it's a church. It should be centered with Christ. But you'd be surprised <laughs> what, how many churches are not really centered with Christ. They talk about Christ, but it's not really centered with Christ. And so it's our first core value. Without Christ, it's not the church or the way. If Jesus is not at the center of everything that we do, we're just a group of people that like to come together at a convenient time for all of us and talk about God. We're not really following. You see what I'm saying? Some of you feel a little attacked right now. It's okay. I'm attacking myself as well. Uh, We don't want to just be a group of people, a a, a country club for the saints. That's not what we want to be. We want to be an active movement for Christ. And so that's why our first core value is Christ-centered, and this is, this is what it says. We are focused on Christ's mission of bringing in and leading those not yet on their faith journey. We accomplish this by being biblically based in our faith and practices and being spiritually animated in our words, actions, and plans. Key word there, animated. 
That means movement and action is happening. For you to be animated, that means you are functioning and you are doing things with what's inside of you, right? So that's kind of where the rub is. A lot of churches and a lot of Christians, because it's not just enough to say it. You can't just say, I'm a Christ follower and it's done, right? I agree that he existed. I acknowledge his presence. It's, it doesn't stop there. It has to continue on. It's not enough just to, to, to acknowledge that he exists. The same power that came here 2,000 years ago does not just need to be acknowledged, but it needs to dwell with inside of us. It needs to be the source of what we do as a church, but more importantly, individually. For life to flourish, we need him to do his thing out there and in us. But more often than not, it starts with the in. Otherwise, you're just faking it on the outside. Um, okay, and so you heard that, and you're like, okay, we're sold, Bill. We get it, okay? Jesus started it, so it should center around him. It's kind of his thing, you know? We take it over and try to ruin it all the time, uh, but it's his thing. He started it. We'll center around him. We should start with Jesus. But what does that even look like? Because if I came to you, and I said, are you Christ-centered? And you're like, yeah. It's like, what does that mean? You'll go, well, you'd probably like equate it to like a, a cream-filled donut or, or an Oreo or something. You're like, well, he's the good stuff on the inside. And I'm like, well, what is the good stuff? You know, not just don't paint me a pretty picture. What does that actually mean for you to be Christ-centered? And so the question is, if we're centered with Christ, what is Christ-centered with? Because if he is the makeup of what's us in, inside of us, What's inside of him? What makes him who he is? And so we find this in John. Scripture lays it out plainly, pretty, pretty straightforward. In John 1, starting in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of, and here it is, catch the full of, this is the cream filling, okay? Full of grace, and truth. It's that simple, full of grace and truth. John testified, this is John the Baptist, not the same John who's making the testimony here, two different Johns, okay? John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Confusing? It was confusing then too. Out of his faithfulness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace in truth came through Christ Jesus. So to be Christ-centered, to be a Christ-centered church, we first must individually be Christ-centered. Uh, when you come into this building, it doesn't mean that you're instantly Christ-centered. I know that when people on the outside and they go, oh, they're in church, they must be Christ-centered. And that's what we assume, but there's not like a special coat that I wrap around you and like, oh, now you're Christ-centered. Now, it's like an, like an achievement when you walk in the door. It's a choice that you have to make because if that's the way it is, that means when you leave, I take that back and you're not Christ-centered anymore. You're only in this building Christ-centered. You can kind of see... How, the, the rub on that. 
And there's two things that are listed that we pointed out, grace and truth. And that sounds awesome, right? You're like, man, grace and truth? I, I want to say I'm about that. that. sounds really good. I'm going to update my Instagram, you know, and say, I'm, you know, I love coffee and grace and truth, you know, that kind of thing. Put it on my, my dating profile because it sounds good. And it does sound good when things are easy. When life is comfortable and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christ follower full of grace and, grace and truth. That's me. But grace and truth isn't really tested until hard times hit. When the bank account is full, when work is going great, you got that job you wanted, you just got married, and you're still in that, that three-year honeymoon phase, you know, it's really easy to go, man, I am full of grace and truth. But it's not needed until times gets, get hard. When, when the bank account isn't full, the relationship is a little rocky. Your boss is just getting on your everlast nerve, right? That's when grace and truth get kicked in. So let's, let's break these apart. So grace, grace is a nice way of saying messy. <laughs> it's being okay with messy. So what is grace really? Grace is when someone that you know that they're involved in something they should have been, shouldn't have been, and you told them that many times. They didn't listen. And now they're suffering the consequences of the things that you told them not to be involved in, whether it's a person or a substance or an area, a place, whatever it may be. And they come to you, and they want you to feel sorry for them, because, and you, and you want to say, I told you so. I told you so. You shouldn't have done it, right? You deserve what you get. Grace is going, you might deserve what you get, but there's still room for you. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is still hope for you. That's what grace is. And we always think of grace for others. But do you ever think about grace for yourself? And what Christ sees you as? And how he was so graceful for you? Because truthfully, none of us deserve grace. Not a single one of us. I don't care how kind, nice, giving, uh, sweet, you know, you could be, you'd be so sweet, you're like the worst cupcake in the world, just too sweet to eat, okay? But you're human, and we all need grace. Whether we acknowledge it on the outside or not, because we dabble in judgment, and that's kind of where grace falls apart, where we don't have grace is when we start judging people like we're better than them. Even though we might have not done what they've done, we're still capable of doing what they're doing. And so we judge, we dabble in judgment, right? And that's why we have judges and, and juries and all these things, because there's some judgment needs to happen. There needs to be some justice, some recourse, some consequences to the actions. But God is the ultimate judge, because he can see it all. He can see your heart. He can see everything about you, right? So grace is that amazing thing that none of us deserve, but is so messy, we're afraid of it in its true form. So when it comes to being grace, full of grace, it's whatever is polarizing you. So if, you, if you're like, I don't know if I'm being graceful, can you think of a time that you got uncomfortable for somebody? When was the last time that even though you were right, or you have a good reason, a good reason not to be involved, not to get into the mess with them. When was the last time you, did, you actually did it? If you can't remember, you're not practicing grace. You're practicing the illusion of grace, the fun part of grace. But grace is going to people when they don't deserve it and saying, I'm here for you. 
Yeah, you shouldn't have done that, but it's okay. You can come back from it. Yeah, that, that you know, you didn't deserve that, and, you know, and that's kind of, I can see how you could justify how you, why you did what you did, but still, there's still room for improvement, and I'm going to walk there with you. So that's grace. It's polarizing. It's uncomfortable. And then the other side is something that we like to use a lot on others, but never on ourselves. Um, when we talk about like truth from our perspective, it's always a good thing. When someone comes to us with truth from their perspective, we always hate it, right? Because usually they're bringing truth because correction needs to happen. And we don't like truth because it involves correction. We don't like correction. It's not, it doesn't, usually opposes what we actually want. It's very polarizing. And that's why we end up in places where, you know, we have to, village heights, sometimes we have to go, yeah, we're a church, and I know that they're a church, and they also call themselves Christians, but we don't necessarily represent the, the true same thing. Because sometimes they only spout truth, and they don't care who it hurts or how it's received, or even if it is received, they're just going to make sure that everybody knows they know what the truth is so they can set themselves apart from everybody else. See, truth is meant to build character. It's meant, it's meant to realign yourself and others back to what our creator, what the way is. But sometimes we can use truth as a weapon against people, and that turns it nasty. And that's why people don't like to hear truth. And that's why they've redefined it. You ever heard him say, well, that's, that's my truth. What does that mean? <laughs> Did you create something? Did you make matter happen? No, you didn't. God did. You can't make your own truth. There is only truth. And it's existed before you ever existed. Now, I don't want to, I know that some people, it's about perspective. It's better safe to say, that's my perspective. Because if you start claiming truth, that's an absolute. And you're not a God. The day that you can make life happen, and not just talking about like in the way that God gave us to make life happen, but if you can make, take dust, form, and then bring life to it, then I'll listen to you, okay? Or walk on water or turn water to wine. We'll start a business, you know, we'll make a lot of money, uh, whatever it may be. Until then, there's only one truth. But truth can be difficult because it opposes what we want usually. And so I ask you, in those scenarios, is grace and truth something that you truly emulate? Or is it something like as a badge you put on to to show that you're a Christian? What are you filled with? Or is it an image you portray so you don't feel out of place? So that in this room, people don't look at you weird or act like you don't belong, but are you truly portraying it? And if you can't answer that question, here's an easy way to figure that out. Where are your resources being used? Where are your time, talent, and treasures being used? Because if the majority of it has nothing to do with Christ, chances are grace and truth is not at your center. What are you about? And this is a great dating tip. If you want to know what somebody's about before you take the plunge with them, whatever it may be, track what they do with their money. Track what they do with their time. Track what they do with their talents. More often than not, you'll find what they're actually about. It's the same for us. If you can't figure out, am I actually Jesus at my center? Am I Christ-centered? Follow what you use your resources for. So throughout Scripture, we find example after example how church people are supposed to act and use their resources. Paul is constantly in Scripture having to break up fights 
and church, like there's church splits and there's all kinds of church drama that he's having to address. Most of his letters have to do with that. But if you kind of zero in on it, if you do a little investigation, he's basically saying, you're not Christ-centered. I know that you've you wanted to join Christ and follow the way, but what your actions are communicating something different. Because if you have grace and truth inside of you, you wouldn't be acting this way. So watching what you do, tracking how you react to things, will tell you what you're truly about. Are you really full of grace and truth? People are, and this is what Paul found, and it's still the same today because humans, we don't really change. People are more worried about others' core, so much so that they neglect their own. They're more worried about what other people's actions and judging them that they forget, maybe I should judge my own actions. Maybe I should look at myself. Because I guarantee you, you could spend all your time on yourself because you're not perfect. I know your mommy said you were, but you're not, Okay. She powdered your body and told you you're special, but you're just like every other human. You might have a skill and talent that somebody else doesn't have, but you're still flawed. You're not, you're not perfect. You still have, you might be perfect for someone or perfect in your family, you know, but you're not a perfect human. That's, that is impossible. And if you will just look at yourself, you will forget that others are even there usually. You'll be so worried about, what am I doing? How am I following Christ, that you'll stop looking at others. But here's the cool thing. If you start focusing on your actions and what you are doing, and you start walking the way, people will start following you. Because they'll see the progress in your life. They'll see your character change. They'll see the hard things that you, how did you get over that? How are you so generous? What, what, how is this possible, right? They'll start following the way. They'll start seeing Christ in you because you will actually be Christ-centered, full of grace and truth. If we move forward with one scripture, if you didn't hear anything I said today, if you're like, oh, it's all confusing, this one scripture, if you just follow this one, and this is why he did this, Christ, a lot of what he did was kind of simplify, uh, and, and actually did a collection called The Minimalist. It was actually, Jesus was the ultimate minimalist because he took decades and hundreds of years and thousands of years of humans just kind of messing it all up. We started with 10 laws, and then the Pharisees built like 600 on top of that. The laws, they couldn't even follow themselves. And then Jesus comes along and says, guys, 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 you're, you're overcomplicating this. You're, you're making this too difficult. Let me simplify this for you. If you do this one command, it will fulfill all of these commands. Just do this one thing. One commandment. And it requires you, if you follow this, be full of grace and truth. It's in John 13, 34. It says, a new command I give to you. He's not saying all the other commands are nullified. He's saying this command fulfills all the commands. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I believe it is impossible to fulfill this commandment without grace and truth. And you're like, how do I do that? Well, it's a balance. You can't be all about grace, because if you're only about grace, that, that means that you're just forgiving to everything, and everybody can do everything that they want to you, and you're just becoming an enabler. Too much grace, not enough truth, you're an enabler. 
But if you jump to the other side and you're only going to be about truth, right? And you're just spitting truth at people. Pretty soon there's going to be no one to listen because they're going to be sick of you, okay? <laughs> because you're so harsh, only about the truth. And you just kind of nailing them in the head as, as, as every time you're around them. Well, you did this wrong and you did that wrong. You should correct this and you shouldn't have done that. You know, if you're only about that, you're not going to have an audience to even listen to the truth anymore. So it's a balance. What is that balance? It's love. When you measure grace and truth in your life, it's about love. Loving people through a situation. Because when you love them, grace changes. When you love them, the truth and how you present it changes. And when you balance the two, it makes this cool opportunity that you really get to see real life change. Unfortunately, I hate to break it. It's not you that's changing them. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that changes people. You can't change people. You can force people to do things, but you can't truly change them from the inside. Only Christ can do that from the inside out. And that is tough. It's messy. And it's sacrificial. And that's why throughout the ages, people have tried to bend God Jesus and the church to their will and say, you know what? I, that, this scripture right here, I like this one, but this scripture I don't like. It doesn't really vibe with me, you know? <laughs> I don't, I'm not feeling that one. I'm just going to ignore that and pay attention to this one. And I'm really going to lean on this scripture. But this scripture, ah, that was, must have been a mistake. Typo, you know, what, that kind of thing. We try to bend Jesus to what we want because we don't like how messy and how tough it is, how sacrificial that we have to be. And that's why we end up in places where we have to keep starting the church over and over and over. Believe me. And that's why Village Heights exists. God called us to plant this church. And I asked God, God, do we really need another church in Houston? There's a lot of big ones, and they're doing great things. they got way more money than I have. Laura, are you sure you need another church in Houston? And... Yeah. And he helped open my eyes to see that, although I'm not bad-mouthing, there's churches doing awesome things out there. They're leading people to Christ, doing great stuff. No offense to them or anything like that. But has everybody had the opportunity to hear about Christ? The answer is no. Has everybody had a chance to meet Christ? The answer is no. So then, yeah, there is need for more churches. And it might not look like the other churches. It might be its own thing. It might be in its own unique way. And that's why Village Heights is the way it's, it is. We don't do the lights and the smoke and, the, you know, and all the lasers and all that. We don't do that stuff. Because if that worked, everybody would be saved. And it's cool. I love those places. I love going to them. It's fun. But that's not is where it's at. It starts with Jesus. He's the one that changes people. He's the one that makes the, the magic happen. And the only thing that we can describe is magic because we can't do it on our own. We can't make that happen. So he gives us one commandment. And he's like, if you just do this, if you just do this, you don't have to keep starting over and over and over and over again. Just follow this commandment. We won't have to start if we realize this now. It all begins here. Jesus started it. We can't have church without Jesus at the center. And like I said, if we do, we're just, we've made something else. We're just a group of people that just happen to talk about God at a convenient time every day. 
or in one day a week. Um, so for the kaleidoscope to work, first thing it needs is light. And you're like, wait a minute. No, you need like plastic and all that stuff. You could have a thousand kaleidoscopes in a room. And if I close the door and turn off the light, those things are obsolete. <laughs> they don't work. So the first thing you need for a kaleidoscope is light. And so our light as a church, as the kaleidoscope that I think that we are called to be, we need to start with Jesus because without Jesus, it doesn't work. It's something else that we've created. Jesus is the only light that has a longevity because that's why we end up in situations where a, a church exists, but they kind of shift. It's no longer Christ-centered anymore. And then it's built on some charismatic light of a human that will burn out. It will happen. If it's only built on Bill, if it's only built on Hannah or even us together, and we can burn pretty bright. We can make a party happen, right? Be pretty entertaining. But we're not perfect. We're not everlasting. We fizzle. We will fail you. That will happen. That's why it has to be built on the only light that will not burn out, and that is Jesus. We have to start with that. But it starts with this individually. We center ourselves with Jesus. And if you don't know where you are on that, follow your resources, where to use your time, talent, and treasure, and that'll tell you what you're about. That's the quickest way to do it. And it's not, and here's, here's another big thing, because like you heard this, and you're like, okay, Bill, I got it. I'm centered with Jesus, right? <laughs> and you, you like decide it. It doesn't work that way, <laughs> unfortunately. You can't just instantly decide. It's kind of like uh, how we talk about giving. And I don't really push the tithe. The tithe is biblical, yes. And 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 honestly, in the New Testament, Jesus is like, give it all away, you know, kind of thing. There's like somewhere in the middle that we try to figure out. And some people are like, I can't do 10%, so I'm just not going to do it. And I say, start with something. Start, it's so important to your faith journey that you start with 1%. So kind of in the same way, you can't just go, it's instantly all Jesus and everything I turn around and change. Like, that's too much. You can't handle that. You're not a God. So start with one thing. Start with your relationship. Start, start in your marriage. Center it around Christ. It will change how you treat and love your spouse. If you're a parent, start with your kids. Center it with Jesus, your relationship with them. It will change how you parent. Start with your career. Start at your job tomorrow. Decide. Tell Jesus, hey, I'm going to make this about you today, God, not me. It will change how you treat your coworkers, how you respond to your boss, how you treat the people that you're managing, right? It'll change things. And here's the big one, and this might be a little hard. This might be the big baby step, is your finances, Say, Lord, Jesus, I'm going to make my finances about you, not me. I'm going to center it with you. It will change the way you see money, riches, talent, resources, all of that. It'll change things. But you got to take it step by step. Because if you try to do it all at once, it'll be overwhelming. And you'll go, it doesn't work. No, it's not that it doesn't work. It's just too hard for you. Take baby steps. Start bringing Christ to the center of everything you do slowly. So the best way to do that, and sometimes you're like, I'm on the journey, I'm taking the steps, it's getting really hard. I can't really hear Jesus anymore. I don't feel like he's listening. I've asked him, I've told him, I need more money in my bank account. I don't know how I'm going to deal with this situation. And I feel like he's not listening. The best thing to do is remember what Jesus did for you. 
That is the best thing you can do in that moment. Because when he feels distant, it's because we've made him distant. And we need to choose to bring him back. And the best way that we do that is just remembering him. Because we'll have like little things in front of us, right? And to us, it's huge. Be like, it's our, we have financial problem. We're like, it's right here, right in our faces, right? I have a spouse problem. It's right here, right in my face. But then we go, but I'm going to remember what Christ did for me and what he conquered and what I couldn't do. And when you do that, he's much bigger. And it takes those things that you thought were huge and it diminishes them. And you go, you know what? I can't handle this, especially because I got Christ with me. And if he can do this big thing, he can definitely do this thing. So he gave us one of the simple ways to make that happen. And he knew before he was going to do what he was going to do that we needed to remember it. And so he asked us to do this, to have communion together. Jesus supplied us with the way of remembering him. And he made it simple, easy to do. But if you've been a part of church and you've had, you probably have had communion before. And you're like, well, this is just what you do. You know, you you drink the not-so-sweet grape juice. Is it alcoholic? Is it not? That's a whole other conversation, right? And then you have the, the stale little wafer, and you're like, man, this thing is terrible. could use a little cheese. You know, I, I, I kind of... And you, and you have these thoughts, and, and then you, you do it, and like, this is just what we do together, and then you go. I want to expand that for you. I want this to become something that is not just something you do at church, but it's something you do with your family. You do this at home. Even if you don't have anybody to do it with, you just do it. You remember what Christ has done for you. Because for me, guys, life has gotten crazy. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. It's just chaotic all the time now. And I know you were like, oh, we just got out of 2020. And, but it's like every week there's something insane happening. And maybe it was always happening. We're just very aware of it because of social media now. I, I, I don't know. But the only time that I could actually find real peace from my problems and the chaos that I'm having to face or what I'm seeing on the news is when I stop, I step back, and I go, yeah, that's a problem, but let me remember Jesus. Let me remember what he did for me and how he actually died for all of this. Whatever problem that I'm facing, he died for that. Whatever I'm struggling with that separates me from God, from my creator, he died for that. And not just for me, but for you. In every individual situation that you have from 2,000 years ago to today and eternally beyond, it doesn't run out. It's everlasting. He died for that. That is the time that I find real peace. Because as humans, we do all these things to try to re... We find comfort in control. So you're like, man, I feel like my health is out of control. I'm going to go to the gym and take control. I'm going to do a diet. I'm going to take control. My finances feel out of control. You know what? I'm going to do Dave Ramsey or whatever, and I'm going to take control of my finances. My marriage feels out of control, so we're going to go to counseling. And we're going to get control on our marriage, right? And there's little things that we do, and that's not bad stuff. But ultimately, what we should do to find real peace is to connect ourselves and latch on the one who has control over all of it. The only one that can really change everything. Who did change everything. And that's Jesus. And some of you might go, man, my problem's too small for that. No, it's not. He died for the big and the small. 
He died for it all. So, when we do communion right now, about to do it, actually we can start handing it out. I want you to not just enjoy the music, not just take it, but really think about what he did for you. And we're going to walk through this scripture together. And in this week, if you're facing something big, I want you to stop. Because like some of you are like, well, I don't have the wafers and the, the not so great grape juice and all, and all of that. You can actually buy it. It's on Amazon. It's available to everybody. If you want these, you can have them at home, right? You can do that. But I, we, we say just something bread and red. That's, well, that's, to me, that's as close as you need to get. Something bread and red, whatever it may be. Uh, big red, I guess, might work. I, I don't know. But it's more about acknowledging your Savior. And so when you face a big problem, I don't want you to go, man, I got to grab control of this. I want you to go, I need to grab onto Jesus. I need to remember what he did for me because it'll remind me how small this really is. And that he's truly the only one that can change all of this. So I want, as we do this, I want that just to wash over you and truly embrace it. Thank you. All right, so this is what it said. This is what he told us to do. In Luke 22, 19, this is where we find it. And he's preparing his disciples because he knows they're going to be confused about what's about to happen because they were expecting him to overthrow the, gov- the government and become king on earth. And they thought they were going to be the generals and the whatever of his kingdom. But he knew this is going to confuse them. They're going to be shocked and they need to be reminded of what's happening. And so he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so this is what he said. In Luke 22, he says, and he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread, break it. now, Jesus, we acknowledge and we thank you for what you did for us. Jesus, you didn't have to give your body. You didn't have to do everything that you did for us, but you chose to be the ultimate sacrifice. And you gave not just your time or your words, but you gave your, literally gave your body to us so that we could break it. Lord, you are our king the king of kings, and you let us break your body for us. Thank you. Thank you. Continue on in verse 20, it says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take the cup. Jesus, as we drink this as a a representation of the red blood that you spilt for us, your holy, pure blood as the ultimate sacrifice for not just the people of that time or whoever was walking the earth, or, but everybody eternally. 
that today, in this moment, right now, that we could stand on this sacrifice knowing that you are truly in control, that you are the God of the universe, that you stand beside the Lord, the Creator, on our behalf, that regardless of whatever sin that we've committed, or selfish thing that we have done, that we can still come back to you and you will present us to the Father righteous in your name. Lord, not just for the things that we've done, but the things that we're going to do tomorrow, the things that we're going to mess up on, the people that we're going to hurt, the selfishness, the pride, the hypocrisy, all of these things that we're going to do. You paid the price, the ultimate price for that. So Jesus, whatever we're facing that feels insurmountable to us, that we can't win, Lord, we hand it to you because you died for that. So whatever we are facing, Lord, whatever it is, we will never forget. And I pray in this moment, whether we're doing it, we're doing it now, we're doing it at home with our family or beyond, whatever it may be, that we will continually remind ourselves and remember you. Thank you for being the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you for loving us so much that you even care about the smallest of things. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In my prayer. Amen. Let's worship for a little bit and then we'll continue on.